0: hey guys welcome to the ancient plan podcast we're excited to be back with you again today and we're going to be um looking today at the covenant that god made with abraham we're going to read some of genesis 12 we're going to read genesis 15 and talk about that so anyway really important i'd say in the in the bible passages we're reading um concerning the biblical storyline I think this is one of the most important ones we're going to read because uh, so much of what we're going to read in the Bible from here on out um, is going to be referring back to what we're reading today. And so, um, anyway, excited that you're with us and, and to be talking about this. Also, just before you know we get into it, I want to encourage you. We want to hear from you. Uh, we we would love it. You know, most of the time when we're doing these discovery Bible studies, you know, we're sitting a, with real people face to face, and we're actually it's very highly interactive. So this is a little bit different doing it in this format, but we would love to hear any questions you have about um, what we're talking about in this broadcast. Just just post uh, any questions you have in the comments and and uh, we'll do our best to to try and get to those to answer them. Or maybe you have like an insight or a comment um, uh, in the scripture that we're studying and you want to just post it on there so other people can be edified. So feel free to do that. We think it's a better show when people um, interact. So anyway, Ray, how are you doing?
1: Uh, doing pretty good. Just, uh, moving along. It's like I was was telling you just before the show, it's tax season and got some things going on, but overall I feel encouraged and delighted in the Lord. So
0: yeah, God is good. What's, what's something that, uh, God's done in your life recently that you're thankful for?
1: Uh, I, I can't say, uh, with, uh, I can't, say the whole thing, but I will say that I just feel like the Lord is opening up uh, a couple of doors of opportunity um, here in the near future that I'm pretty excited about. Uh, it's Maybe, I I don't know. I, I can't really say what it is, Just oh, what I'm it is. I'm intrigued,
0: dude. I know. I, I <laughs>
1: we didn't even talk about that, you know, and so, uh, but yeah, so exciting. I'm, I'm excited for what uh, the Lord is doing in my family, what the Lord is uh, doing in my life, doing in my kid's life. So it's great.
0: Awesome. You know, honestly, so Um, I'm on day something. I don't remember what day but about a week into a fast that I'm doing like a Daniel fast. And so last week when we recorded our episode, I was like, major detox, it was like second day of the fast and I was just feeling like really rough and my mind was blurry. But today it's the opposite. I'm through the detox phase and I'm into the phase of the fast where I'm feeling my heart more tender and I'm feeling the presence of the Lord more. And I'm I'm hearing his voice and he's starting to just drop things in my heart for intercession. And my heart is burning uh with these different things. So I'm excited. And one of those things was this morning. I just I was I was waking up and uh and I I just had the phrase from Psalm 24 in my heart about gazing upon the beauty of the Lord and delighting in his perfections is how the new living translation says it. And I was like, God, show me your beauty. And I had Psalm 45 just on my mind. And so this morning I just spent time in Psalm 45 and it's, I just want to read four verses because it's actually, actually the first seven verses I'll read and uh, I won't take too much time on it, but it's so beautiful. It's all about Jesus reigning as King. Um, it says you are the most handsome of all like that statement right there is a wonder this is a great thing to say to the lord in worship gracious yes. words stream from your lips I meaning he, he he speaks words that has supernatural power and impart grace when he speaks god himself has blessed you jesus forever put on your sword oh mighty warrior you are so glorious so majestic in your majesty, right out to victory, defending truth, humility, and justice. Go forth to perform awe-inspiring deeds. Your arrows are sharp, piercing your enemies' hearts. The nations fall beneath your feet. This is return of Jesus stuff right here that we're getting visions of. Your throne, oh God, it refers to Jesus as God, endures forever and ever. You rule with the scepter of justice. I love this about him. You love justice and hate evil. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than on anyone else. So anyway, I was just really being blessed by Psalm 45 this morning. So let's go well, ahead and oh, go ahead.
1: If it, if, if it means anything, I've been reading Ezekiel. And blessing is is one word you could use <laughs> when reading Ezekiel. So I I don't have anything like the Psalm 45 input, though. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was mostly weird at the beginning. Wheels within (laughs)
0: wheels (laughs) and all kinds of stuff. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's good.
0: Um, So we're going to get into Genesis 12. So here in season one uh, of this podcast, what we're doing is we're working our way through the biblical storyline. And we're just studying key chapters from Genesis to Revelation that kind of follow the thread of the larger biblical story that's being told from Genesis to Revelation. So, you know, I say this all the time, but the Bible is a a library of 66 different books, but it tells one story from beginning to end. And uh, there's four parts of the biblical storyline, and I'll just put these up here on the screen. So the first part, the biblical story, the plot starts with creation. And that's told primarily in Genesis 1 and 2, where God creates the heavens and the earth and the people, the animals, everything in the earth. And everything is good. Everything is perfect. It's going along great until the next major development in the plot of the story, which is Genesis 3, and that's the fall. And what happens is human beings decide to disobey God. And when they do, they embrace a sinful nature, and it brings a curse upon themselves and natural creation and um. And uh, it's a major, major crisis, and it introduces not only sin, but suffering uh, into the human experience. And um, then God has it in his heart uh, to redeem what was lost in the fall and to restore it back to how it was before the fall, where there is no sin and no suffering on the earth. And so the third part of the biblical storyline takes up the majority of the Bible, and it's called Redemption. Um, And it starts and it's announced in Genesis three, but really it continues to unfold throughout the story of the Bible and and comes to its fulfillment in Revelation 22. And that is the final part of the plot. The biblical storyline is the final restoration. It's when God's redemption plan is complete. There's a new heavens and a new earth. There's no more sin, no more suffering. There's righteousness and blessing forever and ever. So that's kind of an overview of the biblical storyline. And now we're going to zoom in to Genesis chapter 12 and 15. And we're looking, this is the redemption part of the storyline. And probably this is like, I I kind of think of this as the first major installment of God's redemption plan uh, for people and for the earth. And it's the covenant that he makes with Abraham. So I'll go ahead and um, start reading that. You want to flip through those slides as I read here? You bet. the Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran, and headed for the land of Canaan. When they arrived in Canaan, Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem. There he set up a camp beside the oak of Moreh. At that time, the area was inhabited by Canaanites. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. And Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. After that, Abram traveled south and set up camp in the hill country with Bethel to the west and I to the east. There he built another altar and dedicated it to the Lord and he worshiped the Lord. Then Abram continued traveling south by stages toward the Negev. So I'll just start off by asking you, Ray, and we're going to read Genesis 15 in a bit, but I I wanted to talk first about this chapter because this is really sets up Genesis 15. Um, Why is this passage of scripture so significant to the biblical story?
1: Well, it's interesting because we're just coming out of the Tower of Babel where, and I'm sorry, my connection looked like it was like skipping in and out, so we were having a little bit of technical difficulty, but we just came out of uh, essentially the Tower of Babel and the redefining of, or the defining of the nations, and Abraham was actually down in Ur, which is like about 200 miles, I would say, uh, 200 miles south of Babylon, and so now he's going up to Haran, but he's being promised uh, this land here, which is currently at the at the time is the land of the uh, Canaanites. And um, really, what this is going to do is set up. Sorry, this is going to set up the um, set up basically what the rest of the Bible is about in in the sense of what God is obligated to do based on the promise uh, that he makes, uh, to Abraham. So everything that we read in the Bible from this point on is unto, uh, this end. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I would also say it's important to, cause we read, we, we read Bible typically, even, you know, we read the Bible and we know it, like we kind of know the story. And so we kind of think of it as we know it. Right. Yeah, and I would say if it's like some I, I always have to tell myself to read it like I'm reading it for the first time, especially when you're reading through Genesis. That's good. Because When when the seed is when the seed is introduced, we should be reading it like, oh, is this next character the seed? Right. Mm. So is, is Abraham the seed? Right. And so when you when you read it that way, you're you're still sticking with that that seed storyline. We're going to find out really soon. Abraham gets disqualified from being the seed. But okay when you when you read it when you read it that way it keeps you in the main thread of the storyline
0: that's cool yeah this is so this is significant honestly as you keep reading the bible from this point forward they're going to refer back to the covenant that god makes with abraham over and over again i mean even in the new testament they keep referring back to it over and over again and uh this is this is major so i'm going to answer this question by kind of answering and asking it a different way or asking another question. So I'm a Gentile. I assume you're a Gentile. Are you a Gentile, Ray? Yeah. Okay. I assume so. Actually, I do have some Jewish blood in me. I just found that out a few years ago. Um, Yeah. Like, you know, that's a side thing. I was pretty excited (laughs) when I found that out. You know what I mean? I mean, not that far away. Like my, my, my mom's grandparents were like Russian Jews that immigrated to the United States. So, yeah. But anyway. So, but as a Gentile, why should I be cheering for God to fulfill his covenant promises to Israel? And, uh, you know, obviously we root for every nation, right? Like, you know, you, Rwanda or whatever people group live in Rwanda. You know, we love the people of Rwanda. So we're like, yeah, whatever promises you have for those people, God fulfill it. We we love them. We want them to be blessed. But these promises that God makes to Abraham, or you, I'm going to say Israel uh, as well, um, are They're bigger than that because these promises, when they get fulfilled, they affect all of us. So the context of this covenant that God's making with Abraham is that every ethnic group on earth is a slave to sin and all of natural creation is suffering because of it. We see all that in Genesis 3. And God wants to redeem every people group on earth, not just Israel, but every people group on earth. He wants to redeem and put... He wants to put a redemption plan in place to restore all things. And so God's plan to to redeem all people, it's installed through a series of strategic covenants that are unveiled throughout the Bible. And the first major covenant is this covenant with Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant. The next one, which we'll read later, is the Mosaic covenant. Then there's the Davidic covenant. And finally, there's the new covenant. And these four covenants form the, the infrastructure through which God's master plan to restore all things is put into effect. And the covenant that God makes with Abraham is the first of these redemptive covenants. And it is actually the foundation that the other three covenants are built upon. So so that's why this is important. You know, the it, if you care about your sins being forgiven, if you care about, having eternal life, if you care about the whole earth being liberated from sin and suffering and the curse, then you have to care deeply about God's covenant with Abraham that is described in Genesis 12 and 15. I I think of it like this, you know, what, what are the things that we hope for as a lover of Jesus in the United States of America, where I live, you know what we long for Jesus to return. We long for no more, for the earth to be liberated from sin the curse to be lifted off we, we 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 long not to have to endure the struggle anymore like that um those things are all contingent none of those will happen unless god fulfills the promises he made to abraham and his descendants known as israel so i'd like to illustrate it like this imagine i i was a super wealthy billionaire and i came up to you and i said um Hey, you know what? I like you. I'm going to give you $5 billion a month for the rest of your life. You would be like, woohoo! yes, like you're so good. Thank you so much. I received that promise and, and, and I trust you that you're faithful and you're going to give me my $5 billion a month. And then I and then I turn to the person next to you and I say, I love you, too. And I say, now, here's how it's going to work. This person next to you, I'm going to give them $10 billion every single month. And the way you're going to get your $5 billion a month is there. I'm going to make them give $5 billion of what I give them to you. So that way, both of you get the $5 billion. And you're not going to receive your promise unless they get their promise. And that is how God has purposely set it up with Israel and the Gentiles. It's like he's looking at the Gentiles And he's like, Hey, you know, the, the church, he's like, you're not going to get into the fullness of the promises that you're hoping for in the new covenant until I fulfill all of my promises that I made to Israel in the Abrahamic covenant. But of course, also, you know, the mosaic, the Davidic, you know, those things as well. And so that's why as Gentiles, we need to be, I think God did that on purpose because he wants us to care intensely and to pray for Israel because what they're going to go through, and we'll get into this later, what they're going to go through between now and the fulfillment of their promises, they're going to go through the time of Jacob's trouble. And um, it's going to be intense and they're going to need us Gentile believers who are going to be loving them, praying for them, preaching the gospel to them, um, standing with the Lord, contending for the fulfillment of their promises. And one of the ways God knows human nature one of the ways he gets us to be so passionate about the fulfillment of their promises is he says he ties our the fulfillment of our promises to the fulfillment of theirs he says you're not getting yours until they get theirs and so all of a sudden it's like okay now i care very intensely about israel getting their promises fulfilled so what do i have to do lord to partner with you to see that happen
1: yeah it's so good i think it's a it's also a good mercy to, to gentiles too because it when we give ourselves to understanding that part of the narrative, it helps liberate us from a gospel that's self-serving and self-centered. That's good. And we learn how to dis- detach the um, the story in a, in a good way. There's a, you don't want to necessarily do it like exactly like I'm saying, but like it's not always all about me. It's not mm-hmm. always actually all about my salvation and my feelings, right? Yes. And so when you recognize that. You actually see the beauty of the Lord's heart, and that's something we'll be talking a lot more about in, in future podcasts. But you see His heart, you see His heart and promises, you see His heart and commitments, um, and 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 I can and then I can trust if He loves them like that, uh, then then He loves me like that, and that gives me assurance and confidence in the Lord's leadership. So mm,
0: I like that. Yeah, cause you see, like, um, you see the faithful friendship that the faithful friend that God was to Abraham, or I'd say is to Abraham. Abraham's with him right now by his side. Abraham's still alive. He's with the Lord right now. And, and he's up there like, God, you promised me these things. And God is so faithful to keep his promises. And that actually reveals his character to us. It it shows us what he's like. Like he's not just this way with Abraham. This is how he is with everyone who's in covenant relationship with him. And, so therefore, how he is, we care about that. If God breaks his promises to Abraham, what, is, what confidence does that give us that he's going to keep his covenant promises with us? Um, and so it's a big deal. We need to know that he has the kind of character that he never even once breaks his word, uh, especially when he makes a covenant promise like he never, ever backs off from it. and He always fulfills what he promises and says he's going to do. And so that's important in its implication for us as well. Yeah, amen. So, so what? Let's get into the promises. What specific blessings in this passage did God make to Abraham? Uh,
1: descendants and land. Yep. Right, descendants and land. And so, to me, it, it's pretty straightforward. The the what what is being said, what is being promised, and what the expectation is. It's bizarre to me, and I I don't know, I don't even know if I should necessarily bring this up or if we should go too deep on it. It's bizarre to me the ways in which this gets interpreted and shifted into symbolic, uh, into a symbolic meaning or uh, um, where it's like fulfilled, but in a not a literal way, right? It's more so fulfilled, like through the blood of Jesus, the Gentiles are grafted in and the church is now Israel, and Zion is Israel, or I'm sorry, yeah, the church is Israel, and the church is Zion, and like everything that it was pointing to was actually all the nations being the church, and that's what Israel truly is, it's the church. So it's talking about, uh, it's called supersessionism. Um, and we don't have to go too deep on that, but it's when, I'm, when I read this, it's just so plain and clear it is. what is being promised and what the expectations are. And if I'm going to read this like a child, which is what I think I should read it like. Yeah. Then I, I can't, I can't like just because I can't get my mind wrapped around the promise being so simple and straightforward because we want things to be complex because the more complex they are, the more we get to interpret it the way we want it. Um, and so, yeah, I, I. I <laughs> This is kind of one of the things that makes me grumpy is like when I read this and it's it's being interpreted anything outside of the literal interpretation of what is actually being promised. So I see land, I de- I see descendants, and I see them being Jewish, and I see it being in Israel, and I see one king ruling from that place named Jesus, who's also a Jew, ruling from the throne of David, who's also a Jew.
0: Have you ever seen the movie Evan Almighty?
1: I did. I don't. I don't remember it okay. completely. I remember it getting real serious at the end. Oh, like it was dude. a comedy and then it's it gets super serious
0: and powerful. Yeah. I, I love that movie. Um, It's, it's hilarious, but it does get really in, like at the end, there's this fear of the Lord moment. And I I don't even know if the makers of the movie intended that at all, but um, you know, basically there's this one part in the movie though. So basically it's this guy, he's really full of himself and prideful and he's our up and rising congressman. And, He's got his whole career in front of him. And then God ruins that and <laughs> basically says, uh, comes to him says, I want you to build me a boat, does all this stuff. And he ends up like reluctantly obeying, like kind of being, I mean, he tries not to, but God just keeps pulling him into it. He ends up obeying, he builds this big boat. He ends up losing his job. Basically he gets kicked out of his job. He, he's humiliated in front of the nation, I mean, he's lost his reputation. He he almost lost his family, except God intervened. So his family actually ended up closer in the end. But then they're on this boat. And the whole time, like the, the crux of it is like, it's going to rain and there's going to be a flood. And he literally builds an ark, like a huge ark. And all these animals are on it. God brings all these animals. And God says it's going to rain, right? There's been a drought and there's going to be a flood. And everybody's like, Like, how is it going to be a flood? You know, it's just, it's not even raining. And God told him it's going to be on this day. And so he's on the boat. All the news media is gathered around the boat and they're all watching. He looks like an idiot, right? looks like a complete fool. And then he's like, God, would you let it rain? Please. You said it was going to rain. Right. And then his wife goes, this is ties into what you just said. This is where I was getting to. His wife makes this comment. She goes, well, maybe God didn't mean a literal flood. Maybe he meant it was symbolic, like a flood of love was going to come or something like that. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: And, and then he, and then he, there's this hilarious line. And right then he gets this super serious look on his face and he goes, if that is true, I am going to be so ticked off. <laughs> <laughs> he says a different word. My wife yeah. and I, we laugh hysterically at that part. Cause we get it. Like whenever yeah. the Lord has spoken a promise to you and you've, 've you've, you've made costly decisions and it's cost you to stand on that word that he's going to fulfill that promise and then after all that you've gone through if at the end it's like oh never mind I didn't really mean it like that it's just right. this symbolic little trite thing and you're like really like <laughs> really? like I and I I, I I could imagine Abraham right now standing before the Lord if God was like you know Abraham, you know how you left your father's house and you basically lived as a nomad your entire life and everything that you went through, you know, I'm i uh, I'm not really going to let your descendants live in that land forever. Like I actually said, uh, it was symbolic, you know, yeah. I'm not really going to bless all nations of the earth through your offspring. It was just symbolic. You know, I'm not really going to, if, if that is true, um, honestly, because the language is so clear and it's so plain. And here's the deal. It's not just here. This covenant throughout Genesis, it's repeated over and over and over. And because yeah. he wants not only Abraham, but the next generation, he re- God appears to Isaac and says, hey, this is the deal I have with your father Abraham, therefore with you. this is." And he repeats it. Then he does it to Jacob. And he goes on and on throughout the Bible because he, he wants it to be clear. The descendants of Abraham through Isaac and Jacob known as Israel, they are going to live physically, live in this piece of real estate in the Middle East. Uh, at this time, it was where the Canaanites lived. But God actually defined the boundaries of this land as well uh, in the Bible. But it's actually a much bigger area than the current state of Israel today, right. um, You know where it's at. It's, it's way bigger than that. But um, they're going to live in it forever when all is said and done it's going to be descendants of Abraham that will live on that piece of real estate forever. And God's like, Hey, you know, like he owns the whole earth. Like the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all its people. He can do whatever he wants to do with his, with his land. He can give it to whoever he wants. And he's like, you know, this piece of real estate, I I own it all. But this little, this spot right here, it's designated Mm -hmm. eternally to Abraham and his descendants through Jacob. They're going to live in this land forever. And it's, it's an eternal covenant that god makes so it's important to to know that too this wasn't a temporary blessing he makes it very clear even in uh chapter 13 he says, i'm giving it to you and your descendants as a permanent possession it's an eternal covenant that god makes
1: yeah that's good yeah and and even so even moving forward thrusting it into the new testament when you know the the disciples ask is this the time that you're going to restore the kingdom jesus doesn't say like don't like hey don't you know, like I'm reinterpreting what you think the kingdom is like, I'm that's, a am reinterpreting it now. It's symbolic. Now he, he never does that. He right. actually just says, you're, it's not, it's not your interpretation of the kingdom. Isn't wrong. Your timing is wrong. And that's what he's, he tells them. So he doesn't. And that's Paul never does that too. It never comes out. Like, so I don't, I mean, I do know why the, the, the theological ideas exist to turn it into a symbolic kingdom, a symbolic kind of they would actually say it's it's even far more complicated than that they wouldn't even use the word symbolic they would say it was always literal it was just literal in this way and so um but Paul never ever like shifts expectations in all of his in his epistles, and you don't see that in Peter and James. It's always like the kingdom coming in the future. Jesus is going to return, and when he does, it's going to be like this. Which was the same expectation, right? In the Old Testament, it was like, oh, there's a kingdom coming, and it's going to rule all the nations. So you read like Zechariah twelve through fourteen. You read the last five chapters of the book of Isaiah. Um, Isaiah chapter eleven, Isaiah chapter two. It's like that expectation ever shifts. And so there's no reason for us to ever shift it. The problem is, is that it doesn't, it's not self-centered. It's not, it, it doesn't center. The story doesn't center on me and what how I filter the world. Right. And so it, yeah, it, it comes point. down to one nation and that's, a, that is a hard thing. It's almost like, Hey, you want to be a believer and you're evangelizing and you're discipling. You want to be a believer? Like, yeah. And they're like, you want to know Jesus? Yeah. Hey, you want the Holy spirit? Yeah. You want to get baptized? Yeah. Like those are pretty easier ideas to digest because they're a little bit more centered on the, the one person. But then when you start like unpacking, like, Hey, do you know that Jesus is Jewish? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. and do you know, like he's going to rule on the throne of David? Yeah. It's like, you're pulling out this heavy bag and you're like, okay, like you've bought in, like you're, you're giving your life to him, but like now you need to know what he's about. And like, then that's when you start pulling things out of the bag that are like, this is, this is a little bit (laughs) weird to my, my human experience, but weird or not, it doesn't matter how weird it is. We just give ourselves to it. That's
0: So so I love that point because God has a salvation plan. It's not revolving around us. Like he has a plan. He's put it into place. And the first major installment of his plan is, is Genesis 12 and 15. It's the covenant with Abraham. And, um, and we are uh, grafted into it. We're included. He said, I'm going to let you, I'm doing something, I'm building something amazing. I'm going to yeah. restore the whole earth. It's going to be glorious. I have a way that I'm doing it. I, you know, I have this plan in place and he's including us. He's inviting us. Would you like to be a part of the wonderful thing that I'm building called the kingdom right. of God and the restoration of all things. But we come into the plan he's already building. It's, it's not, um you know, we're, yeah, we're grafted in yeah. to that plan. It doesn't revolve around us. And I think that's important. I, I, and it is, I, I can see how, you know, theologians for many years, because for almost 2000 years, Jewish people, they weren't living in the land. Uh, there was no nation of Israel. So, all you know, a lot of theologians at that time to like, hmm, what do we do with these promises? Uh they must be symbolic, right? And so they they kind of just trying to explain it. Then all of a sudden, 1948 happens, and there is a state of Israel. There is a nation of Israel again. They have a government again. Jewish people have been making their way back there again and are living in the land. And it's like, oh my goodness! I mean, that is such a miraculous sign um, of the times and of the and of God's really what that was. What nation has been extinct for 2,000 years and suddenly came back into being? Yeah. And it's people scattered throughout other people groups of the earth. And they're not so intermingled. They still have their own unique identity. (laughs) And after 2,000 years, and that is miraculous. And that is the hand of God overseeing his covenant promises with Abraham. And he's going to fulfill it. So yeah. so I want to just list real quick specific things that God says to Abraham that he has to do because he said he would. He says, Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. He did that. It's called Israel. And it, actually, many nations came out of Abraham. <laughs> mm. But uh, th- the one he's focusing on in this is through Isaac and Jacob, which is Israel. And then he says, I will bless you and make you famous. I would say he's done that um Abraham's known of all over the world um he's and then it says you will be a blessing to others god's full i believe fulfilled that and he will keep fulfilling these things but um Abraham has been a blessing to others i will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt i and then uh, i want to i'll talk about that in a second but first i want to say the last one And all the families on earth will be blessed through you.
1: Mm.
0: That's why as a Gentile, I really care that God fulfills his promises to Abraham. Because God wants to bring blessing and redemption to every people group on the earth. That's what has been in his heart from the beginning. But he had to start somewhere with somebody and he chose Abraham. And he says, I'm going to make a covenant with you and your descendants. And through our interactions with one another, I'm going to reveal myself not only to you, but to the nations of the world all the people groups i'm going to put a salvation plan in place and i'm going to show through my interactions with you you're going to learn and the nations are going to learn what i'm like and who i am and how to relate to me properly and so um anyway and then of course later on in verse seven he says the real estate the land this piece of land it's going to be your and your descendants forever and i'm going to give you many descendants like the stars of the sky he says that in chapter 15 so um, anyway, I just wanted to list those really quickly, the specific blessings, because a lot of times um, I hear it said a lot, you know, where people we, we talk about God is faithful to keep his promises. And it's like, what what are they? What promises? Um, it, God keeps his promises to Abraham. And it's like, well, what are they? And, and you know, they, they're specific promises. You can measure whether he kept his word or didn't keep his word. I mean, they're very specific. And uh, God is going to fulfill literally every promise he made to Abraham. So what's the one thing that God told Abraham to do or Abram he's called in this passage?
1: What's the one thing he told him to do?
0: Yeah, just in Genesis 12. God said, I'm going to do all this, right? A ton of different things. But in this passage, He only really told him one thing initially. This is all I need you to do. You do this and then I'll take care of I'll bless you in all these other ways.
1: I'm, I don't know.
0: <laughs> okay i'll give you a hint it's in verse one.
1: Oh. oh do not be afraid is that it no nope. no i'm sorry i'm in the wrong i got i'm on the wrong page here oh i was gonna guess that but that would have been a guess and so it wouldn't have been fair yeah. to, to leave native co- country and relatives father's family and go to the land that i show you which is uh uh starts with an h
0: mm-hmm.
1: hebron hebron
0: yes yep that's it yeah so what i find interesting about that is like it god um god was like abraham here's i I got one command for you there is no mosaic law yet there's all abraham knows he's had this encounter with god god showed himself to him and said i got one thing i want you to do if you do that one thing i'll do all this for you and Abraham obeyed that one thing. And it was, but it was costly. He had to leave his father's house, everything that he was familiar with and just said, go to the place. I will show you. Didn't even tell him where it was. Yeah. Just start going. I'll let you know as you go. I'll let you know when you're there, which he does later on, but Abraham obeyed. just sit. And I think this is a key point. This is how God can't credit it to him as righteousness. Yeah. And, he didn't even have all the commandments. He didn't have all the knowledge of the, how to live a holy life. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing. All he knew though, but what God is looking for is he, he walked in obedience to the measure of light that he was given. He was given one command, go do this. And Abraham did it with all his heart and he never went back. He stayed steady. He persevered in obeying the one thing that God told him to do later. God would tell him other things and he always obeyed, you know, when God told him those things, but But what God is looking for from those he's in covenant relationship with, that's it right there. And Mm. Abraham obeyed. Here's why he obeyed, because he really believed. He's like, you know what? I actually think you're going to do what you said. I think you're really serious. I trust you, God. So I really do think that if I do my part, you're going to do your part and bless me in all these specific ways. So. I'm going to obey because I think you're going to actually come through on your promise. That's how it is for us. Like here we are, you know, we, we hear the call to the gospel and then we hear the call to repent, right? Leave our sin, follow Jesus, you know, obey his commandments. And what in God's like, and you will receive the gift of the Holy spirit and I will give you eternal life. You'll receive a resurrected body when Jesus returns yeah. and you'll live in his kingdom forever. And we, we, we do repent, we do believe, and we receive the Holy Spirit immediately, right, as a down payment. But Abraham lived his whole life and didn't see the fulfillment of all these promises. Yeah. And we all do the same thing. Even in the New Covenant, we live our whole life trusting that I'm going to obey you. I'm going to. I'm going to not be em- uh, embarrassed. I'm not going to be ashamed of you. That's the word I'm looking for. I'm going to take a stand for what you say is right. And what you say is holy. And even though it's going to cost me relationships and cost me opportunities at times and even bring suffering, I, I I'm so convinced that you're going to fulfill your eternal promises to me that I'm going to persevere in obeying you and repenting of my sin because I believe And God. He's like, yeah, that's, I care. That's how I do it. I credit that as righteousness. Like that's beautiful to the Lord. It's that simple. That's what God wants is he wants that heart posture of, yeah, I'm just going to do what you say. And the the Lord's like, yep, that's good. it's like, even though you don't know everything about me and all the commandments yet, you know what, what, you know, you're doing it with all your heart and faith. And that pleases me.
1: Yeah. We do our tiny, we do our tiny part and it gives me a lot of comfort to know like my, my part is actually tiny. I don't have to like force things to happen. I have to say yes i have to be faithful that right but that part is the small part of the heavy lifting
0: and we have to persevere and i think that's interesting is you know what if abraham had set out for a year and then after a year he's like this is like what am i doing you know what i mean i don't he still hasn't told me where this land is going to be and i still don't have any descendants i don't even have one descendant and I'm out here living like a mo- nomad. I could go back home and we got land and I, I'm familiar with that. And like, whatever, this is just, I, I'm going back. You know yeah. what? He, he would not have seen the fulfillment of the promises had he not persevered in obedience. And it's the same way with us. I mean, this is the way God relates to people in covenant relationship. So so we just talked about Genesis 12. Now we're going to get into reading Genesis 15. So I just want to. So what happens in Genesis 12 is the initial, it records the initial conversation encounter between God and Abraham and the specific promises that God made to Abraham. The one thing that God required Abraham to obey uh, in order to receive these promises. And we see that he did obey. And what happens though is many years pass between Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, which we're about to read. And Mm -hmm. in these years between the initial encounter when God made these promises and Genesis 15, where God really just makes these things. uh, He does a covenant ceremony to really secure these promises. Abraham proved himself faithful to God and God was faithful to Abraham. Like that's just clear. in throughout the rest of chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14, their relationship of trust was tested and it was deepened through these years until we get to, the dramatic encounter that happens here in Genesis fifteen.
1: Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, it's. A, uh, I think he did a lot of traveling. So he comes. He comes down. He's going to go to Egypt. In Egypt, he gets in trouble with Pharaoh and his wife. Comes back from Egypt. Goes back up to uh, Canaan. Uh, and he's between Bethel and Ai. I call it Ai. Is it? How do you say it? Ai?
0: Yeah. uh, You know, I just I just guess, but I try to say it really confident because I know nobody else really (laughs) knows either, because I'm always
1: speaking to Gentiles. (laughs) No, it's good. Um, And then like this weird thing happens where all there's like these kings and they're all fighting and they take Lot. He doesn't have any of Abraham hates that. And so then he takes 300 of his men, goes and gets Lot. And so all this stuff happens in between the promise and then the covenant. Um, that's kind of like, it's pretty intense, It's pretty epic actually. So I recommend going through and reading it. If you've not,
0: yeah, not, for not sure. right now.
1: I'm just saying anybody who's listening.
0: Yeah. Amen. Cause actually in chapter 13, God does by this point in chapter 15, Abraham knows the land that's his now. Uh, cause yeah. in chapter 13, God says, this is it. You're standing in it. Look as far as you can see, it's all yours. And he gives them the boundaries, uh, Uh, So anyway, so by chapter 15, Abraham knows. So I'll go ahead and read chapter 15. It says, sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, "O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own. So one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, no, your servant will not be your heir for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up. This is such an intimate passage. What a conversation. Look up into the sky and count the stars. If you can, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord And the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? Again, that's so literal, isn't it? I want to know that if this is real, I'll actually possess it. The Lord told him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abram presented all these to him and killed them. Then he cut each animal down the middle and laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. Some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abram chased them away. As the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a terrifying darkness came down over him. Then the Lord said to Abram, You can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them. And in the end, they will come away with great wealth. As for you, you will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land for the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction." After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day and said, I will I have I have given this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River. The land now occupied by the Kenites, Kennesites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. I wish, you know what? I wish I would have done. I wish I would have thought to get a map. I would, I should have shown a map on here. I always like to show people a map of the boundaries so they can see the size. Of yeah, the I land can find that,
1: one really quick if you want me to.
0: Yeah, that'd be awesome. So just while you're doing that, I'll just, uh, I'll just talk about some of the things that stand out to me in this story. Um, uh, The first thing is I really enjoy the heartfelt um, interaction, just the honest, heartfelt interaction between God and Abraham um, in this passage. I I love watching the way they relate to one another, uh, the friendship that has developed of trust uh, between them. Um, And I love that God initiates the covenant to bolster Abram's faith in in specifically in response to his question in verse eight. So twice here, at first it starts off where God makes a promise and God, Abraham's like, thanks, God, you know, that's that's really awesome. Um, But, you know, I mean, that's cool, but I still don't have any descendants, so. What good is that going to do if I don't have any descendants that are going to be able to enjoy it? God's like, oh, no, no, no. I'm going to give you an heir of your own, a son of your own, and he will be your heir. And then I love this. like God is just throughout this passage, he's actually working to bolster Abraham's faith. And so he's like, look up at the stars in the sky. He says, go ahead and count them. You know, I don't know. Here in South Dakota, a lot of times in cities, you know, you try to look up at the stars you, you might see a few, but it's not the same as when you're out in the country. Um, when I go out to you know, my, my wife's parents, they have a farm and I go out there. There's no light pollution. And I love to just look up at the stars because you can see so many stars. And there's no possible way to count them. I mean, I can imagine Abraham. Abraham's in a desert. I mean, there's no light pollution at all back then. And he's looking up. I just imagine, go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven did I already count that one? Did I not? Anyway, (laughs) he gets the point and then God's like, yeah, that's, that is how many descendants I'm going to give you. And Abraham's just like, wow. And he believed God. And then, then, then God says, yeah, and I'm also going to give you um, this land as the, the possession of your descendants. And then Abraham's like, okay, God, I believe you, but how can I really be certain that we're actually going to really possess it again? It's a literal promise. And, um, and then I love God's response. God's like, here's how you can be certain. I'm going to initiate and enter into a covenant with you. And this covenant is the significance of this covenant. I, I think sometimes we're unfamiliar with this in, uh, in our culture, um, but we have covenants all the time. A covenant is a legally binding agreement between two or more parties. And so it's it's each each party has, you know, there's terms of the covenant, there's terms of the agreement, and there's and there's a, a length of the agreement. So, for example, you know, like when you purchase a home, you know, you have a contract, there's this, all this paperwork you fill out, it's legally binding paperwork that you paid this much money. And that's that's your terms of the agreement. I have to give this much money to this person and they're giving me this piece of property and now it's legally mine. And this is a covenant, that's a covenant. And both parties have to keep their side of the agreement or it falls apart. And God initiates, it's God's idea. It's not Abraham's idea. God initiates this covenant with Abraham to bolster his faith. Because Abraham's like, how can I be certain? God's like, here's how you can be certain. I'm gonna enter into a covenant with you. And that's serious because, um, the meaning of this, the, uh, the covenant ceremony, it's kind of weird to us. You know, it's like he takes these animals, they're split in half and then he lays them out side by side and then does another animal cuts it in half, lays it out side by side and kind of creates this pathway between the two halves of these animals. Right. And then you, and then we see God, the smoking firepot, walking between the two halves of the animals. And I've, You know, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I've just heard people who studied this stuff and they said this and I thought it sounded cool that the meaning of that is like when they made this covenant ceremony, the one who when they walk through those animals, basically what they're saying is if I fail to keep my end of my my end of the agreement that I'm making in this covenant, then may it be to me like it was to these may I be split in half like these two Mm -hmm. animals basically and and for God to say. I just see the humility of God and the way he's going out of his way to, in a sense, without compromising himself at all, come down to our level and relate to us. And actually, this is the eternal God. He's always existed to put himself on the line for a person and to say, may it be, may it be to me like it was to these animals if I fail to give you the descendants I just showed you. And to, that they would live in this land forever the way that I promised you. And um, and he's doing that because then Abraham knows like, whoa, man, this is this is serious. Like God's really serious about keeping these promises. Did you find a map?
1: I did. I had to <laughs> turn it into a PDF. It turned into a little bit of a, a thing, but I, uh, I think I got it here.
0: Do you got it? Is it ready to put up or do you want me to?
1: Uh, it's not. I'm uploading it right now. So, no but all that is those are really good points because it, it really sets up uh, the commitment that the Lord has to, to not only Abraham, but to, um, to, restore the, the, to restore the kingdom through Israel, but also graft the nations in. Because when you think about the Tower of Babel, you have these people who, you have all, all those people that are all doing one thing collectively. Uh, mm. building an idol of worship to a God that isn't the God of all creation that we find in Genesis one and two. And so what he does is the Lord, and, and that what they're expecting is for the gods to come down to the tower. Right. And this be their form of worship. Right. And so we're having the same problem uh, again, re- really pre-flood is that are worshiping other gods. And so instead the God of the the creator God comes down and frustrates their plants and scatters them. But then he boop, picks one man named Abraham. And he says, from you, I'm going to make a nation and I'm going to be the God of that nation. So Mm -hmm. the other nations have taken their, their gods. Right. And so when we say their gods, meaning whatever, whatever deity they have decided to worship or has even revealed itself to them. But that's why it's always called the God of Israel, because there's gods over the other nations. They're just demonic. right? Right. And so, The the God of Israel is the one true God, and being the one true God, he's going to be true to his promises, and being true to his promises, he's going to restore that one nation that he was the God of, and then what he's going to do is rescue all the other nations that were serving other gods through Israel, which is total um, humility on his behalf because Israel is just as broken and wicked as all the other nations, right? They want to do all the same things that all the other nations want to do. And he says, no, I'm the God of this nation. And that's what makes this work. It doesn't work because of your commitment to me. It doesn't work because um, you're more special. It is actually my commitment to you that makes this whole thing work. And that's how the nations are saved. And so it's, uh, it's actually amazing that, you know, he would do it through one man. And so you, wow. you even see it. Where was where was Abraham? He was in Ur. Where's Ur? It's by Babylon. Uh, then he's called the Haran, which is up north of Israel, and then comes down through Israel, goes to Egypt, comes back to Israel. Um, here's that map.
0: Oh, sweet. So that so that is you know the a map of the land that God promised to Abraham, and when he kind of defines the the boundaries of it here in chapter 15. Um, so that's huge. So right you know, the current state of Israel is I'm assuming that's the yellow area number two.
1: The yellow area. Yeah, this is a pretty modern, modern map.
0: Okay. So that uh, so it's super tiny now, but but they only are, are possessing currently a sliver of the entirety of the land that's actually theirs by covenant with God yeah. who owns it all. And they of course they're you know there is a contention and there will be an escalating contention more and more as we lead up to the return of Jesus over Israel's, you know, the the nations who are not serving Yahweh, who are not serving the yeah. Lord. Uh, they, they don't want Israel to have that land. They want the land for themselves. And, uh, but those of us, even Gentile, non-Jewish followers of Jesus, we're like, no, this is his salvation plan. He promised that to Abraham, that's theirs. And so we want to Uh, stand with them in prayer and agreement and the most important thing it's not a for me I I I stand with Israel to be in that land and I pray for them uh I don't I don't just do it like it's not a political issue to me right not at all to me it's about the God I serve this is his salvation plan this is what he said therefore this is how it is so let it be according to your words you know to me it's about standing with Jesus
1: yeah, I'm not. I, st- I, <clears throat> my stand for Israel and my allegiance to Israel has nothing to do with the political power. Uh, it has everything to do with God's promises, right? Yes. And so, like, that doesn't make um, Israel inherently righteous. Actually, you find that out with through the Pharisees. Like, you're not actually righteous. You know, you're <laughs> just because you you th- you think uh, you find your righteousness through the word of God, right? That's what he he tells them. And he's like, it's actually it's me. Right. And so, but you're, you're rejecting me. You've rejected the key of knowledge. And so, um, anyway, um, I, it's a, it's a really important point to say that. Cause I had that conversation with somebody else before I was talking about Israel. I was, was actually having this conversation a couple weeks ago and they were, they were like, so are you saying like, as Christians, we need to be politically aligned with Israel. And I looked at him right in the eye and I said, no, <laughs> that is not what I'm saying at all. Um, the, the idea here is that the, this is where all the promises are aiming towards, regardless of how corrupt and broken Israel looks right now. Yeah. It doesn't, that's not, that's not, my allegiance isn't to defending them or defending their way of doing things at all. I'm thinking of a Jewish king sitting on a Jewish throne owning that land. That's what I'm, that's primarily what I'm thinking. And even yeah. them, it'll be to their own, um, they will be humbled to receive it. Right. It isn't like a, a point of pride to them. Like we've earned it. They didn't earn it.
0: They're going right? to be saved by grace. Exactly. That they don't deserve and did not earn just like everybody else.
1: Right. Through exactly. faith
0: in Jesus, just like everybody
1: else. Just like everybody else. And yeah. so um, that's an important point. We'll probably tease that out more in future episodes yeah. on like, the importance of that because it does get twisted pretty quickly into like an, an, a political allegiance or some kind of an, ad, uh, uh, agenda, you know, and, and, and that's just not at all what we mean. I'm, I'm going back to Genesis chapter 12, Genesis 15. I'm looking at God's promises and I'm saying he is faithful and true. Therefore I believe he's going to do what he said he's going to do. Mm-hmm. Even if that's outside of my realm of, uh, the way I naturally think or, um, my, my, current worldview or my experiences. Right. It's like, why, why Israel? Like I'm over here in America. Why Israel? Right. And that's yeah. a, it's a, it's a tough question, but it's a, it's a important question.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, and we, uh, yeah, I think w- one of the things that stands out to me here in Genesis over and over again is, you know, this wasn't Abraham's idea to make this covenant it it was God's idea. Um, Genesis 12, it wasn't Abraham's, you know, like God appears to Abraham and he's like, hey, let's hang out. Let's be friends. Then it wasn't Abraham saying like, "Well, okay, why don't we do this? Like, why don't you give me one thing to do? I'll do it. And then you just bless me a bunch of ways. And Okay. It wasn't like that. God completely in his sovereignty, he has a plan and he initiated this. He initiated even this covenant with Abraham. This wasn't Abraham going like, Hey God, I want you to um, make it official. Oh, let's have it a ceremony, a covenant ceremony. Really make it official, like that was God's idea. And and here's the the thing behind that is this: God is not doing this for for human beings. He isn't doing this because somebody's holding it, holding him at gunpoint. And twisting his arm to doing something that he's reluctant to even want to do. It's like, no, he wants to do this. This brings him pleasure. And I think of Ephesians 1 where Paul talks about how he adopted us uh, through Jesus Christ as sons and made us holy. And he chose us before the creation of the world. And then it says he adopted us as his sons through Jesus Christ. And then it says this is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. And it's, I love that about the Lord It's like, God, you're doing all this for people. You're putting this plan into place because you want to do it because it brings you pleasure to redeem us. And because you want to live, uh, with your people forever and ever and ever. So this whole salvation thing is, is God's idea. Mm. Um, one thing I, I wanted to just point out also that actually a couple things in this passage, I, I love how God tells him in verse 12. um, Yeah, your descendants are going to be oppressed as slaves in a foreign land for over 400 years. I I just think that's so cool. Like in the moment where he's like, look up at the stars. It's like this epic encounter. Like it it feels really good, right? Like, oh, I'm going to have all these descendants and I'm going to give them this land. But just so you know, they're going to be slaves for over 400 years in a foreign land. And then I will bring them back to this land that I promised you and they'll occupy it and um, possess it yeah. forever. And God actually explains his reasoning for that. Um, In verse 16, he says for the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. You know, cause mm-hmm. there's people living there already that God's allowed to live there. And, um, and, and, God's like, yeah, when you come into the land, you're going to be like taking it by force, by war. You're going to be wiping these people out, killing them. And uh, he says, but right now it would not be just in a sense for me to do it because their sins are escalating. But it's not yet at that tipping point where it's time to bring judgment to to bring down the sin level. So you guys are going to be over here for 400 years after 400 years, their sins will be ripe and they'll be ripe for judgment. And you'll be my instrument that I use to bring about that judgment and God's multitasking, uh, doing a lot of things at once. But I heard this, too, and I thought this is really good because the question then could be like, well, then, God, why, why do you have to make my servant, my descendants slaves while you wait for their sins to get to that tipping point? And I heard somebody say this. and I thought it was or I read it somewhere. And I, I think it has a lot of merit. Um, You read even before they went to Egypt, you know, Jacob has 12 sons and they, in a lot of ways, had all, you know, the sins of the people in the land that are, are, they're there, but they're just not to that point yet where they're ready for judgment. And you see even the descendants of Jacob, even the 12 patriarchs, kind of like being influenced by their sin. You see Reuben sleeping with his father's wife. You see, um, uh, you know, they're, they're well, they're, his daughter gets, Dinah gets raped. And then the, and then it's two of his sons, they kill all the men, which all, all innocent people, except for one, um, basically just murder them all to take vengeance. And you just see like the way they treat Joseph, etc., And it was like they, God, in his mercy, he separates them from the people in the land. And then he, and then he causes them to be mistreated even while they're in Egypt. Tell me if you're able to track with me on this thought. No, no, I'm not losing you. And it's like, why did God do that? Because when they're in a foreign land and then they're being mistreated, it does two things. It's all of a sudden they're not liked by the people around them. And so it causes them to bond together and it really establishes and solidifies their unique identity as a people set apart from the others around them. So they really form their own unique identity at this time. And, um, and it also preserves them from being influenced by the sins that were happening by the Canaanites. And so I heard that explanation. I thought that's really good. I, I, that makes it is sense good. to me.
1: Yeah. It creates a family dynamic. And I would, I would add to it that, the Lord had Egypt's judgment in mind as well, you know. I mean, you look at the ten plagues, and so um, good point. You think you think uh, the Lord is also using Israel or going to be Israel as a uh, instrument of judgment, right? By pulling them out of Egypt, right? And so that time he said he's, he's got, it's like he is so good at playing that. Oh man, four four dimensional chess. It's like he knows where things need to be when they need to be there. 400 years before they need to be there so you got to remember all of these other nations are worshiping other gods they're worshiping a a god other than um the god who who's who we get the testimony of in genesis 1 and 2 and what's interesting is is what's brought up if we didn't cover and we're not going to cover is uh the king um, melchizedek who was a yeah. priest and a, a king. How was he a priest and a king before the priestly order was even established? That's Right. Pretty some pretty amazing stuff right there.
0: It is. Yeah. You know? That's good. And I love what you brought up too about what God's doing with Egypt and these other nations. I mean, the four-dimensional chess that God's playing and and um and I think this is good to keep in mind. I, again, I think so many times we'll read passages in the Bible and we reread them from with a me-centered um you know, God, I don't understand why you did that, but if you try to try to imagine yourself in with God's responsibilities, I mean, he's govern he he's like orchestrating events, not just for you and your little family and your little people group, but for every people group on the earth. And he's, you know, this group over here, he's like, is it time for judgment yet? Or is, you know, and then this group over here, and he knows all these different groups and he's managing it all to perfection. And I, I, Paul, you know, you'll see him pondering on this. I think it's in Romans nine through 11, you know, he's just pondering all this stuff, how, and then he just erupts in praise. He's like, Oh, the mercy and the depth of the wisdom. You know, he's like, God, you're brilliant. Like he's God, you're the only one who could pull this off. Like nobody could perfectly manage the situation The, the way you do it's, it without compromising anyone's free will, um, you execute, you, you, you release your judgments in the perfect time to release mercy and to restrain sin in the earth while building your salvation plan. And yeah, it's mind boggling. It's it, the glory it, of God.
1: In the meantime, while he's doing all of that, he's also holding nature together. By His power, the sun come rises. On. By His power, the moon is in the skies. Light Amen. and power. It's not just there; He's doing it. Wow. So it's like, come on.
0: That's so <laughs> it's good. All
1: powerful. He's amazing.
0: Yeah. Well, let's go. Let's go through. Um, unless, you, do you have anything else you want to point out, or we'll go get nope. into nope. the Discovery Bible study questions? Yeah, let's do it. So, uh, yeah, what did you? What do you like about this story?
1: Uh, the main thing is the promises of God and his commitment to fulfill them. Um, If I could trust what he's going to do with Abraham um, that he said, he's going to do it. I could trust him with my life, regardless of how much the story makes sense to me. Right. Um, And too, like it's interesting when you read it, it's kind of got a little bit of a Daniel vibe because he says in 400, you know, for 400 years, this is going to happen. It's almost like prophetic. He's like, it's like a prophetic word. You know, it's, it reads like Daniel, which obviously Daniel is not for another 1400 years after this, but um, it's, it's, he's like telling him like what's going to happen. The question to me is, is like, why would that information even be relevant to Abraham? Like, just tell me what's going to happen in my life. Don't tell me about 400 years in the future. Right. Which is oftentimes a lot of what the symbolic the people that want to interpret things symbolically is, is more like, why is it even important to talk about the return of Jesus? If it's not in my lifetime or it's, you know, it's, it's not, um, you know, you take uh, what Jesus says in Matthew 24. It says, well, it doesn't really make sense to like take Jesus, what Jesus says in Matthew 24 and project it out 2000 years. Why would he even say that it's not relevant to the disciples, but that's how the prophetic nature of the scriptures work is they, they shoot into the future to provide hope for the present. Yeah. Um, and so I, I just think that that's really important to the story.
0: That's good. Yeah. I like the, uh, I'll just say the wisdom of God. Um, that's revealed in this passage and, and, uh, you know, in, in just the, um, you know, this knowing when that the sin of the Amorites does warrant their destruction and, you knowing, I mean, just working all these different factors out all perfectly at the same. So it all comes together at just the right moment. I mean, I, that just blows me away. And then I also like the faithful friendship of God. I, I love watching the way God interacts with Abraham, uh, the the mercy, the tenderness, the patience in it. I mean, he's not mad at Abraham. He's like, how oh, can I be sure that I'll actually possess it? Because he knows Abraham's not like in unbelief. like Abraham's in the act of obedience. And he has been for years at this point. God's like, no, no, no. He's Abraham's all in. It's okay for you to ask that question. And then God just bolsters his faith. And how can I sure I'm going to have a descendant. He's like, look at the stars of the sky. I just, I love that about the Lord, the patience of God in working with Abraham. So what, do you have any questions about this story?
1: Um. Yeah, more, more probably questions that, can't be answered but i think are interesting is you know where is this this land that's been promised where is it in relation to the garden of eden right because we're still we're still in genesis right
0: can you show that map again yeah okay i have a thought i'll share on that i'm ready for this this is going to be fun Uh, let me see here okay so that area that god promised to abraham right that is um it what's a couple interesting things like over, uh, you know, it's, you can look it up on other maps too, but that is approximate, like that area would approximately be, and I heard somebody else saying this, you know, about 1400 miles wide, about 1400 miles wide. Basically, And when you read about the new Jerusalem, the dimensions of the new Jerusalem in Revelation 21, it's approximately the same dimensions
1: it sits on it yeah.
0: yeah so basically the new jerusalem descends like i, I my, here's my theory and i can't at this point just be like this is the lord but right i think there's some merit to this and it's exciting it's fun to think about i i think that promised land is going to be the where the new jerusalem rests um yeah and and where the, the throne of jesus will be Jerusalem and um, you know, from there. So anyway, I, I think that's a fun thought. And here's another fun thought that I don't know what I wonder about this. I read something about this. When you read the dimensions of the garden or or the description of the garden of Eden, I think it's in Genesis two, you know, it talks about the, the, the Tigris and the Euphrates river, which is like, anyway, it, it looked like, I wonder if the garden of Eden was the same land. Like when you read the same
1: shape yeah with, with the seas and the oceans and everything
0: yeah i mean i don't know all that i just know like when it talks about i'd have to look at it genesis 2 but it talks about the euphrates and the tigris Ritter, which is basically over on the eastern boundary of this yeah. land Is kind of that river runs along yeah. there i'm wondering if it would be interesting to me if eden was this plot of land And then now this is promised in the covenant as the the first major installment of God's redemption plan, the promise that uh, you're going to live in this land forever. And then the new Jerusalem is about the same size. And we know it's coming down right here in this area. I wonder if all of it syncs up in the end, if it will, um, so we'll it, it would see. make
1: sense to me. To, it would make sense to my mind that, that that's just how the Lord operates. Like I would think that. Yeah. I can't say for sure, but it's, it's, it's meant, I do think, to capture, capture our holy imagination and to, mm. to just um, to meditate on it and just think about the goodness of God, you know, worship him, you know. One way or another, that is going to be glorified. That that piece right. of land is going to yeah. be glorified, <laughs> and yes. it has intense purpose, and it has a link to Eden. That that those things I think we can guarantee. Um, and
0: and and it's uh, the 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 again seeing the significance of the plan of God, how it's all connected. It's not just like God's doing one thing in the Old Testament and then he just kind of like hits redo, and does something right. different in the New Testament. It's right. all one plan, and he's like he's so intentional i see the wisdom of god in that and um yeah it all fits the abrahamic covenant is essential to new covenant believers like if god doesn't fulfill his promises in the abrahamic covenant then that's the foundation that our new covenant is built on if that crumbles then the new covenant is coming down yes anyway cool so um what what do you learn about god in this that he
1: is, he is in, intensely committed uh, to his purposes in Genesis 1 and 2, uh, that he's intensely committed to the nations, hmm. and that he, he alone is the one with the power to make that happen, yet he involves us so that we are a part of his story. And that's the inclusion of Abraham. Um, he, you know He involves Abraham to get humanity involved in the redemptive story. So yeah, I, would, and, I would say his faithfulness.
0: Amen. And and I, I, I like what you said about the other nations too, because that's an important part. You got like God's doing this covenant with Abraham, but the whole time he has all the people groups on earth in his mind. Yeah. Like he knows, like this is yeah. step one. This is phase one of a plan that when all the phases are put in place, it's going to it, it's going to bring salvation to all the nations and all the people groups. And so, and God told that to Abraham says through your nation, uh, your, your offspring, all nations will be blessed. And, um, and we see that of course through Jesus is Abraham's offspring and it's through the Messiah, Jesus, that all nations are blessed and the whole, everything's restored. But, um, but that's important to keep in mind. And sometimes honestly, Israel got away from that. They forgot that. You know, they kind of got this we're God's special people throughout their history and God's hand of favor is on us, which is true. But they forgot that. Yeah, he chose you out of all the sinners. Um, He chose you and he made a covenant with you. And um, because he loves all people as well and he wants to give grace to all and he's going to use you as a servant, servant leadership uh, to bring blessing to all nations. And and sometimes, you know, they would forget that part which is easy to do. We can all do that. And I think new covenant believers uh, make the same mistake when all of a sudden it's all about us and God's done with Israel. God's like, no, don't forget you were grafted into their tree. Um, And Paul makes that point clear in uh, Romans chapter nine through 11, but
1: it's good.
0: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So what I learned about God is he works with people um, to accomplish his purposes um, on the earth. And through, and here's through initiating covenant relationships. And, you know, we talked about the biblical story in part three is the redemption plan. Right. And you can like, what is the redemption plan? You can follow the redemption plan, follow the trail of the major covenants throughout the Bible. And this is the first one, the Abrahamic covenant. And we'll talk about the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, finally the new covenant. But, um, you put all those together and you're, and each one builds upon the other and you you see a, uh, a complete picture of God's plan to restore all things. Um, But he works with people through covenant. Um, Also, he requires us to uphold our end of the covenant by obeying him and trusting him to keep his promises. Even when we don't see them fulfilled. Hmm. So what do you learn about people from this passage?
1: Um, The the Lord doesn't really require very much from us to be a part of his promises. (laughs) I mean, the, the part that we, it reminds me of Zechariah chapter four, not despising the day of small things. Like we say small, we say yes and, and remain faithful in small things. Yeah. They might seem big to us, but in the grand scheme of things, they're small. Um, and the Lord does the heavy lifting. And so I think with people, it's, it's all about, um, saying yes to the small thing that's in front of us and that God honors it.
0: Yeah. That's so good. Amen. You know what God told me? Like when I got saved, uh, I mean, I had this encounter with God. I'm like, yes, Jesus, I love you. I'll follow you. And what I knew at the time, like, I'm like, I want to live for you. I want to please you. What do you want me to do? And the, the very, you know, I didn't understand every detail of the word of God at that point. Um, But he told me, I want you to quit cussing. hmm Out of all the things, I mean, there were so many sins I was involved in at that time. And I was at a point I wanted to, I wanted to live for God. He gave me a new heart. I was born again. And the very moment within minutes, you know, I'm like, God, what can I do? I want to please you. And he's like, I want you to stop cussing. That's one thing he told me to Uh, do. And I'm like, okay, I'll try. You know, and, uh, and I did by the grace of God, and that's a whole story in and of itself, but it was interesting, you know, and of course now, you know, my, my life of walking with Jesus goes beyond just not saying swear words, but it's, um, (laughs) still includes that, but um, there's more to it than just that, but you know, it's, it's how God works with us. It's like, he's, what I really want is I want a heart that's surrendered and I want you to believe my promises and therefore live before me in a spirit of obedience, of loving obedience. And that's what he's looking for. Mm. Um, what about, so number five, how can we apply what we learned in this passage? I just put same answer as number four, what we just said. But.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Just obey. I mean, it's obedience. John 14, John 15 through 17, just obey Jesus. Like yeah. it honestly works out the best. Like it, it, my, As a Christian, your life is only going to be full of anxiety. I shouldn't say only. The thing that's going to create the most anxiety is trying to obey Jesus on one end, but then also live your life however you want on the other end. It just creates a tension and an anxiety. So just obey him in the simple things. If he says, go here, go there. If he says, stop cussing, stop cussing. If he says, spend time in prayer, spend time in prayer. If he says, read a book of the Bible, read a book of the Bible do what he says to do. He's he's got the best path for you. It might be boring sometimes. It's not always exciting, but when you do it, your heart ends up full. The awesome thing about what he told you about cussing, which I think is a a pretty blanket conviction. I think every Christian should probably.
0: Right. (laughs) I agree.
1: But it set you up to, to have the overflow of your heart be what God wants to speak instead of what was already in your heart, right? It's like those cuss words being in our heart um, he's cleaning your heart really you yeah know, even he cleans our mouth to cl- to cleanse our heart and so that's good touch the cold of my lips isaiah you know it's i'm a man of unclean lips the real issue is, is i'm a man of an unclean heart and so amen um, yeah so I, lo- I love that so obey jesus Just obey yes
0: amen <laughs> so so i want to i want to make sure before before we wrap up this chapter i want to tie it in to the larger biblical storyline and the return of Jesus? How does this covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15, how does it relate to that return of Jesus and the larger biblical story?
1: Uh, So I'll I'll go on a small tangent here, and I'm not going to really back it up with any Bible verses. So (laughs) Uh, actually, let's pull the map back up. Oh, okay. Yeah, if you don't mind.
0: Sorry. Oops, sorry.
1: I wish I could could click on the map while it was on there. You can just go uh, right here add stream. Got it. Um, so th- what the Bible actually promotes, you see it's here, starts in Isaiah 63. Jesus is coming back for this land. This is ultimately his land, right? Mm-hmm. And so what it says in Isaiah 63, it says, who is this that comes up out of Edom and crimson gardens from Basra? So that area is right here. It's under Israel. It's down here, like the southern border of what they have marked uh, as the promised land, mm-hmm. so Isaiah says Jesus is actually going to walk up through that area, through the Jordan, um, and t- to the wine press. Right? It says, "Why are your Why are your garments red?" Right? And so you you got to link this now forward to the Book of Revelation. But he's going to come through. This is the way I see it. If you put all this together with like Zechariah 14. He's going to come up through that area, and then he's going to come around the Jordan, and then he's going to split the Mount of Olives. And when he splits the Mount of Olives, he's going to walk into Jerusalem through, I think it's the Eastern Gate, which right now, it's it's actually been blocked up. It's cemented up. Uh, uh, yeah. In the Tsar in the 1500s, I think he blocked it up because of the prophecies about the Messiah coming through. He's like, I'll, I'll block it. Wow. <laughs> As though that's going to work. Yeah. Right? And so... <laughs> Um, so if you put all the the verses together, Zechariah 14, I'm sorry, Zechariah 12, uh, Isaiah 63, uh, Jesus is coming back from, for this land. And when he does make no mistake, it will be in judgment and it will be in, in opposition to the prideful Kings that don't want to give this land up. Um, so that's the practical application to how this applies to Jesus's return. The land is his, he is eventually coming for it. And he will take possession.
0: Yes. Amen. And I was just going to say that too. When Jesus returns um, to rule all the nations, you know, his, the whole earth is the Lord's. He's going to, his kingdom will encompass every people group, every land, the whole planet. Um, But his capital will be set up in the city of jerusalem which is in the land that god promised to abraham and of course jesus and of course all nations will be blessed i mean they're going to rejoice under jesus leadership i mean the, you read the the prophecies in the bible that talk about the emotional reactions of the earth uh to the leadership of jesus when he's here ruling it's like there's joy that you know there's uh it's it's awesome they're all going to be blessed through jesus leadership which actually Jesus is a descendant of Abraham and that prophecy of all nations are going to be blessed through your offspring. You know, I think it's interesting in Genesis three fifteen, God tells, God announces to Satan, you know, to, 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 to the serpent. He says, um, he says, yeah. Uh, one of Eve's offspring is going to crush your head. And he's basically the one who's going to restore all things. And then now we see it's like, it's narrowed down the the redemptive storyline. It's like, okay, like uh, who's, who, you know, who's it going to be? Where is he going to come from? And God tells Abraham, it's one of yours, Mm. one through your offspring, all nations will be blessed. And so when Jesus returns, all nations are going to be blessed. It's going to actually fulfill that prophecy as well. And then, um, you know, again, just what I wanted to just say this as followers of Jesus, like I mentioned before we relate to God in the same way that Abraham related to God in sense of, um, we live by faith that he's going to fulfill all the promises he's made to us. And the promises are much bigger than just like, I mean, I love the, the, I call the little promises. I love that. Like I'm God bless my family, that we would all be close and love Jesus. That's good. But those aren't the big promises for the whole earth that God's making to Abraham. Uh, There's the big promises and uh, that every believer needs to be tapped into and anchoring our faith into like, yes, Lord, fulfill these promises. And we live by faith that he's going to fulfill these promises and we we obey what he tells. We obey his commandments um, while we wait for the return of the Lord. And, you know, I think it's interesting and we'll talk about this when we get to it. But the Lord's Supper on the night Jesus was betrayed, he actually talks about his second coming. At the Lord's Supper, um, he says, this is my body, takes the bread. This is my body. It's broken for you. This is the blood. This is my blood that takes the wine. And he says, um, which is poured out the the blood of the covenant, which is, is, it's my blood, which is the blood of the covenant by which our sins are forgiven. Right. And then he says this, I tell you the truth. I will not eat this. I will not drink of this again. Until I do it with you, in my kingdom, wow. and basically what he says, it's the Maranatha message. It's the you're getting into my kingdom through my blood, and we're celebrating that. But every time we take the Lord's Supper as New Covenant believers, is I think it's brilliant that this was instituted in the early church where they not everybody had Bibles like we do in America today. So they're gathering together, and every time they celebrate the Lord's Supper, and they're remembering this is what our life is built upon like he came he died the son of abraham he died and by his blood we're forgiven and we have this relationship but there's a day coming where we're going to eat the supper again and celebrate this face to face with jesus around the table with all of his covenant people throughout the ages at the wedding supper of the lamb and it's going to be fulfilled and we're going to look around and we're going to see the restoration of all things and we're going to be in the land that God promised to Abraham looking at the son of Abraham reigning as Messiah all nations seated at the table and um and we'll be worshiping him and thank you it's man we're looking at you and it's by your blood that we're even get to be here and experience all this and he's like yeah I told you I'm going to we're going to celebrate it again and it's going to be epic and again it all ties in to the promises that God gave to Abraham. So good. Yeah. So, all right. Anything else you want to say, or should we get into the outro stuff?
1: Um, I'm good.
0: Okay, cool. Well, guys, um, thank you so much for listening. And I want to encourage you to, to go start your own discovery Bible study. You know, you can take those discovery Bible study questions. Actually, I'll put those up on the screen. Add to stream. These five discovery Bible study questions, they work for any chapter in the Bible that you read. And they're so useful. And we want to encourage you uh, to like, you can do this. Find one person who wants to learn more about God and just work your way through the biblical storyline, study these chapters, ask these five questions, and they will discover who God is and what he's like and how to relate to him for themselves, not taking your word or my word for it, but straight from the source, which is the Bible, just by reading it themselves. And the Holy Spirit is such a good teacher. This is a simple, excellent way to lead people to Jesus, as well as to disciple them once they come to know the Lord. So we uh, really encourage you to start your own discovery Bible studies. And then again, if you want to learn more about this subject of the the big picture uh, storyline of the Bible and, um, you know what god's plan is for people in the earth his eternal plan i encourage you to check out um, a book i wrote it's called paradise god's eternal plan for people in the earth you can just scan that uh whatever it's called i always forget what it's called qr code qr code scan the qr code on the screen right here to take you straight to amazon and you could purchase it and um, it's a short little book it has uh, bible study questions at the end of each chapter And it's a great uh, resource to take a small group through and just to to study it for yourself in the word and kind of become familiar with God's big picture plan for people in the earth.
1: And I just want to remind you guys to go ahead and like and share if you're on this, uh, if you're on Facebook, you can uh, like and share this video. Uh, we're also on Spotify. You can get our audio from there and really any any place you can get podcasts. Uh, the one I really want to point out is subscribing on YouTube. It just opens up a lot of avenues for us if we can get more subscribers on YouTube. So you can go to uh, theancientplan.live. I believe that'll lead you either to our Facebook page or our YouTube page. I can't remember exactly which one, but there's links to all of it. And so um, please please subscribe, like, and share. We would really appreciate it. Amen. Thanks for listening.